in the entertainment capital of the world. It's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance in this first half tonight. The doctor operates here. Well, he has trouble with the snap, and the ball is funny. It's picked up by Michigan State's Jalen Watts-Jackson, and he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Hey, it was BYOG bring your own guts, and they brought some guts. Is now in. Glad to have you here on this magnificent Monday edition of the TC Martin Show. <laughs> yes, it is. We're coming back at you after a long holiday weekend. All good. Uh huh. Little Thanksgiving. I hope uh, everyone enjoyed uh, their food as as much as I did, and we know how that goes. How much I enjoy food, but uh, yes, uh, very nice Thanksgiving Day weekend, and of course, we got a lot to hit on on today's show as well. Too today, another star-studded guest, uh, action-packed show. Houston Nutt is going to join us, the uh, former football coach at Ole Miss and Arkansas. He will join us uh, a little bit later on this hour. We'll talk to Houston about the college football that we saw last weekend, college football playoff as well, too, and some coaching moves. We'll dive into that today as well. Next hour, Matthew Hood will be joining us from U.S. Integrity and Chuck Esposito, a couple of our regular Monday guests, as we recap the NFL and the college football weekend from the betting perspective. And then, uh, of course, we got Monday Night Football to talk about tonight as well, too, as the Colts will be taking on the Steelers, a couple teams that still have playoff hopes alive. So we'll dive into that today. So, yes, jam-packed show. Glad to have everyone with us here on this Monday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. All right, so a lot to hit on today. Uh, the Raiders, very, very impressive with their victory yesterday, now making it two in a row. Uh, we are going to dive into that. But uh, we start the show off with some breaking news that we had um, uh, had talked about that this could actually be happening and today. It actually happened where UNLV relieved Marcus Arroyo of his head coaching duties and Marcus Arroyo no longer the football coach here at UNLV. Now, Arroyo ends his stint as head coach with a three-year record of 7-23. and That is a 233 winning percentage, including 5-17 and in the Mountain West Conference uh, overall in his three years. This year, no surprise, major disappointment. This season started off four and one. We talked a lot about this over the last couple of weeks, especially last week, knowing that this could possibly be happening. And as we talked about it on last Tuesday, UNLV started off four and one this year. They lost six in a row. Yes, they won on Saturday. They defeated their arch rival, UNR, who came into this football game on Saturday at Allegiant Stadium two and nine. And UNLV ends up Finishing this season five and seven. All right. So I have a lot to speak on here. And I want to get into Raiders for this segment, but I definitely, you know, want to hit on this topic as well, too, because it is local. Now, we know that UNLV football has been a disaster for a long time. We've talked about that time and time again. All right. So this. Program has had one winning season going back in the last 20 years. All right. 2013, and that one season was a seven victory season with six losses. Expectations were much higher this year for these reasons. The Mountain West Conference was not very good. They were down this year. You have finally better facilities at UNLV. Thanks mostly to the Fertitas and Tony Sanchez for helping raise all that money. But of course, as we know, Tony Sanchez was let go three years ago and UNLV has gone through now. It almost seems like a cycle of athletic directors. They have a bigger budget to work with. You're now playing your home games at Allegiant Stadium. So expectations were higher. Marcus Arroyo relieved of his duties after three years. I am totally fine with this. And UNLV football fans should be totally fine with this. If you are not fine with this, then that just subscribes to the theory is that UNLV football is not that important. 
if you're taking a barometer and saying that, well, Marcus Arroyo went from two wins to five wins, that that's improvement. No, it's not improvement. It's embarrassing. Marcus Arroyo's tenure was embarrassing. When you go seven and 23 and five and 17 in conference play, unacceptable embarrassment. But it just seems like UNLV fans, and we've talked about this before, the apathy with this program is like, well, it's okay. No, it's it's not okay. And this is a decision that I will applaud Eric Harper, and this is his first major decision because he's been with this program as an assistant AD, an associate AD, and even lesser roles in his long tenure at UNLV. But now he's finally the athletic director where he is in control to make these type of decisions now. And this is his first one. Good for Eric Harper for making this decision. Now, it wasn't just his decision. This came down from boosters. It came down from pressure. It came down from others within UNLV. And only time will tell if Eric Harper is going to be able to make a decision and lead a search committee and actually have the final decision on making a huge hire here for UNLV football going forward. But going back to Marcus Arroyo, all right, people want to compare Marcus Arroyo to Tony Sanchez, which really you shouldn't do, but that's just the human nature that when one coach takes over for another coach, that you're going to get those type of comparisons. Marcus Arroyo had better talent and did less. Marcus Arroyo was never a good fit for the UNLV football program. He's lacking in personality. He lacked in community effort. He was nowhere near Tony Sanchez in either one of those departments. But Tony Sanchez came in as a high school football coach. So the bar was set very, very low for Tony Sanchez, and he was given time to improve the program, which he did. But the good thing about Tony Sanchez was Tony Sanchez was a man of the community. He loved this community. He lived for this community, and he had players playing extremely hard for him. There was no question about that. Did he have the best talent? No, because it's impossible to get the best talent coming to UNLV. But Tony Sanchez worked his tail off, not saying that Marcus Arroyo didn't, because I think Marcus Arroyo did. But Tony Sanchez laid a foundation that Marcus Arroyo could step into here and and, and build upon, especially with raising all that money for the Fertitta Football Complex. You've got a great training complex. And moving your games to Allegiant Stadium, that's a great marketing ploy. It's great for fans. It's supposedly good for recruits because you're getting to play in a brand-new $2 billion stadium, the home of the Las Vegas Raiders. Okay, that's fine and dandy. But what really happened was it was more the same. Crowds weren't showing up, and people that were showing up were people that were there to experience the stadium, which I totally get, totally understand. A lot of those people that went to UNLV football games cannot afford a ticket to go see the Raiders. Can't do it. I mean, you're lucky to get into a Raider game for under $200. But those prices are are $200, $300 and up. So go to UNLV game for $20, $30, $40, and you can experience the stadium. But the fan base hasn't grown. The product in the field definitely has not grown. So kudos to Eric Harper for making a decision, a very tough decision, to move on from Marcus Arroyo. Now, UNLV won their football game. Not many really people care about that because UNLV came into this football game with three victories. UNR had two. UNLV nearly lost that game. They got off to a horrendous start. They came back and defeated Reno 27 to 22. And, but that wasn't good enough for Mark to save Marcus Rose's job. The writing has been on the wall for quite some time here. And when you go back and you look at 0 and 6, I know people are going to say, Oh, it's a pandemic year 2020. So what? Everybody had to deal with a pandemic. Everybody had to deal with, you know, not having their players, dealing with Zooms, all that kind of stuff. Okay. 0 and 6. But last year, what happened? Two and ten. A two and ten record is absurd. And then you follow that up with a four and seven season with some embarrassing losses. Plenty of embarrassing losses going back to this year and last year. Like I said, expectations were much higher. 
40 to 7, you lose to San Jose State. 42 to 7, you lose to Air Force. You go to Hawaii and beat a team that is just as dismal as, as UNLV, and you lose 31 to 25 there. And you struggle in your finale against UNR this year that they're a life support. Two victories this year. So two and 10 last year. And remember last year, UNLV lost their first eight games of the season. They lost to UTSA. For those scoring at home, that's the University of Texas at San Antonio. You lost to Air Force 48 to three last year. You lost to your rival UNR 51 to 20 last year. None of those are acceptable. None of them whatsoever. So UNLV makes a change today, and it is a good day for UNLV football. It's a good day today for UNLV football. Will it be better coming up down the road? Will it be better in a couple weeks? Will it be better in a month or two? We don't know. It all depends on the next hire. So moving forward, here's what UNLV needs to do. They need to learn from their past mistakes. And that's what they've they've had a lot of mistakes over the last 20 years. But it's simple. And we've talked about it time and time again. At least I have. Don't hire an offensive coordinator. Don't hire an OC or a DC, a defensive coordinator, from another program, whether it's Power 5 or not. Marcus Arroyo had no business getting this job. Said it then, say it again now. None. No leadership skills. Had personality issues. Had personality conflicts at Oregon. Rumor had it that he had personality conflicts. A lot of people don't know what he went through because Marcus Arroyo, unlike Tony Sanchez, was not a guy that was very invested in this community. He didn't know anybody when, when he was here, and he really didn't take it upon himself to get to know a lot of people. He was into his team, which I understand that. But when you're a college football coach, you better be into your community. You better be invested in your school. And there are no excuses about never being a head coach. All right? Marcus Arroyo was an offensive coordinator at Oregon, just like we see so many times in the NFL. They want to take the hot OC or the hot DC and make him a coordinator. Heck, the Raiders are doing it right now with Josh McDaniels. Failed miserably as a head coach before. But we'll get to the Raiders here in a minute. It's real simple for UNLV. No more experiments. All right? You hired a high school coach, but at that point in time, he can be forgiven. UNLV basketball hired Kevin Kruger. No experience whatsoever. But when you are, are, are that low where you are right now as a program, as basketball was and football continues to be, sometimes, you know, it's... It, it, it's a good thing. Who knows what Tony Sanchez would have would have done here? But still, it was an experiment. Probably shouldn't have hired Tony Sanchez because he was an experiment. He was a high school coach. Marcus Arroyo was more of an experiment because he had never been a, a head coach. And you're thinking just because he was an offense coordinator at a Power 5 school, at a high-octane offense like Oregon, you think that he's going to be a head coach. And this is where the problems go in all sports, whether the professional level or the college level. Don't experiment. It's real simple. UNLV's next coach needs to be an experienced head coach. I've talked about it before. There are people out there that I know, personally know, people that have been are guests on this show. One's going to be a guest on this show in about 15 minutes who wanted this job. And UNLV wouldn't even return phone calls. You need a successful head coach. If they've been out of the game for a while, that's okay. Perfectly fine. You go back to when, if you, when last time UNLV really had any success. I know some people point to Bobby Houck. Okay, that's fine. Okay. How about John Robinson? John Robinson was probably the most successful coach that UNLV had. Why? Because he had head coaching experience. He had tons of head coaching experience. Don't let age, you know... uh bother you. I'm not talking about John Robinson today. I'm talking about John Robinson 15 years ago, coming out of USC, coming out of the Rams. All right. He knew what to do as a head coach. He was a leader of men. And that's exactly what you need. There are coaches out there. Maybe they've been away from the game for two, three, four years, but they're still actively involved. Those are the guys you want to go after. And those guys you can go after. Now, is it going to cost you a little bit more money? Absolutely. Well, 
But if you want a decent head coach, you're going to have to spend money. So UNLV needs to do that at this point in time, or else it's going to be same old, same old, like it's been for the past 20 years. No more experiments. So hopefully Eric Harper, and we're going to have Eric Harper on the show here in the next couple of days, and I really like Eric Harper. But will he have the power to make these moves on his own? Will he be able to get money? If UNLV was ever going to get a a big-time coach or a coach that has head coaching experience. And again, I'm not talking about, you're not going to pull somebody from a, a, a top 25 or even a top 50 program right now. You're not going to do that. But there are guys that are sitting on the sidelines that have experience in leading men in major conferences that really would like this job. And it's your job to listen to those. Do not discriminate for age or race, or anything else, take the guy that has experience, that can build this program, as dormant as it is right now, and how much it has been over the past two decades, and let this person build a program. But it has to be a coach with experience. A coach that knows how to build winning programs. Spend the money. It's an investment. No more experiments. Plain and simple. People ask, well, who will want this job? Well, believe it or not, there are qualified people that actually want it. But don't settle. Don't settle for for, for lower people that are coordinators somewhere else. Just strike it off. Don't let it happen. We'll see what happens. But today's a good day for UNLV because they're making the commitment to move on from a guy that probably shouldn't have the job in the first place and coming off, again, three embarrassing seasons. You can't keep a coach that's 7-23. and 23. Not if you want to be a major factor in college football moving forward. All right. Raiders. Let's talk about that. All right. Raiders defeat the Seattle Seahawks yesterday 40-34. to Josh Jacobs. Record-breaking day for Jacobs yesterday. 229 yards rushing the football. 74 yards receiving with six catches. Total of 303 yards for Josh Jacobs and had two touchdowns to go with it. None bigger than the 86-yard touchdown, the game clincher in overtime. Uh, Nice performance by the Raiders yesterday. It was a record-breaking day for Josh Jacobs. Franchise record for Josh Jacobs and had the seventh most yards in an NFL game in history. You know, Jacobs never had a touchdown longer than 28 yards in his entire career. Yesterday, he got the 86-yarder and reminded many of Bo Jackson's. Remember Bo Jackson's run November 30th, just days apart, 35 years ago, 1987. Oh, by the way, who was that game against? Do we remember who that game was against? The Seattle Seahawks. Do you know where that game was at? In Seattle, at the Kingdome. Old stones throw away from where they played yesterday at Lumen Field there. Yeah. Josh Jacobs, very impressive performance for the Raiders yesterday. The Raiders' offense, totally on point yesterday. 283 yards on the ground, 576 total for the Raiders yesterday. The game was exciting. Seattle really had their way with the Raiders up until the fourth quarter. The Raiders staged a great comeback. They were down 34-27 to with two minutes to go. And the Raiders had life. Thanks to the unsung tight end, Foster Moreau, for the Raiders. Derek Carr hit Foster Moreau, and all of a sudden, we got a new ball game. Caught! Foster Moreau! Foster Moreau for the touchdown from Derek Carr. And all of a sudden, this game is tied up. The Raiders got renewed life. A lot of Raider fans were in that building there yesterday as well, too. But then Seattle had a chance to win it in regulation. Geno Smith hit DK An Metcalf. formation behind him. Geno Smith hit DK Metcalf with a pass at midfield, but it was ruled not a catch. Therefore, Seattle had to punt, and then we go to overtime. So what happens in overtime? The Raiders win the coin flip, just like they did last week in Denver. Win the coin flip is always a good, a good sign, right? But The Raiders really couldn't get anything going. They did drive the ball down the field in overtime, and Daniel Carlson 
had attempted a 56-yard field goal, but he missed. So he missed on the field goal. And then if you're a Raider fan, you're thinking, oh, my goodness, here we go. We blew this opportunity here, won the coin toss, got a field goal, couldn't maneuver down for a touchdown, not even giving Seattle the ball back. So not only do you give the Seattle the ball back, but you give the Seahawks the ball back at midfield, opening the door for the Seahawks to win this game. But what happened? Seattle goes three and out. Three and out at midfield, and they could not move the football. But credit Max Crosby, who came up big, who has been the lone bright spot for the Raiders defensively. Big sack by Matt Crosby. Seattle had to punt. Then the Raiders get to take over from their own 14-yard line. And then the game was over. An eye formation behind him, and he stands up to change the play. Down to five on the play clock. Gets the snap. Hands off to Jacob. Stutters to the right. Burst through the hole. 20. 25. 30. He's off to the races. Here in Seattle. Nobody's going to catch him. 25. 20. 10. Ball game. Bye-bye, Josh. 86 yards in overtime to walk it off for a second straight week. Touchdown, Raiders. Victory, Las Vegas. I have nothing to say. Oh, it's just an ISO lead. It's a beautiful run. You called it right up the middle. Oh, my goodness. Let's go home. (laughs) Boom. There's my man, Lincoln Kennedy, a frequent guest of the show. Uh, Link, uh, very happy about that, along with Jason Horowitz on the Raiders radio network. And the Raiders win the game 40-34. to All right, what does this mean for the Raiders? Well, it means that they've got a victory. They've won two in a row, both in overtime fashion. But, you know, granted, you know, beating teams you're supposed to beat. Seattle, yes, has a decent record, but... You look at the Seattle Seahawks team. It's led by Geno Smith. Geno Smith starting to come back down to earth a little bit. You know, the week before you beat the Broncos. Okay. So you got four victories this year, two against the lowly Broncos, one against the lowly Houston Texans. And you beat the Seattle Seahawks. Tough place to play yesterday. And the Raiders get the job done. All right. So not going to bag on the Raiders. Nice victory yesterday. Anytime you can win is good in the NFL. And now you've won two in a row. Here's head coach Josh McDaniels talking about getting the big win yesterday. Obviously learning how to be resilient and, uh, you know, give Seattle a lot of credit. Uh, they, this is a good football team. They're well coached like we thought they would, would be. Um, Pete does a great job and they gave us some fits on some things and, made some adjustments and we had to make some adjustments and uh, it was a very interesting game in that regard um, <clears throat> but um, I thought our guys were tough uh, we, we kind of had some highs and lows um, you know and lost the lead there and then came back and then lost it again and came back and you know and I know we we missed some opportunities to maybe get the get the lead stretched a little bit um, but we wanted to be aggressive today and, and try to and give our guys an opportunity to do that and I thought they came out with the right mentality. Um, and, you know, and lo and behold, we just keep playing and string together two in a row. So um feels good to win. And like I said, uh, credit credit our guys. They kept fighting. <clears throat> All right, there's Josh McDaniel talking about uh, getting the win yesterday. And good for Josh McDaniels. It's two in a row. That is a good thing for the Raiders. And they uh, they, they get the win yesterday 40-34, to 34, maybe a little bit more exciting than they wanted to. But, again, you got to credit the Raiders, credit Derek Carr, Credit to especially Josh Jacobs. This game had a crazy swing of emotion. Here's McDaniels talking about the emotion in this game. It started from the first play to the last play. You know, first play is an interception and the last play is a touchdown. And, um, you know, it was really, uh, uh, there was a lot of swings in the game and, uh, I credit our coaches. Our coaches did a really good job of staying neutral at times when they needed to be, um, you know, and, and trying to fix the problems if there were any, um, you know, and address those, uh, without having a bunch of emotion in it. Um, no, I got emotional a little bit, you know, and, but that's football, uh, when you're going up and down and, uh, you want to, you want to win. So, uh, I thought our guys, our captains did a great job of staying even keeled today too, uh, throughout the whole game. All right, there's Josh McDaniels talking about the swings of emotion in that game back and forth. And again, it was a game where you felt that the the Raiders, they may come back, but they may not come back. I mean, Seattle really had you know most of the action here. But again, the, the Max Crosby sack was huge. And then, of course, Josh Jacobs did most of the damage for the Raiders the entire game. And of course, the game winner there at the end. Here's Josh McDaniels talking about Josh Jacobs' phenomenal day. He's, uh, he's like, a, I've, I don't know, I'm running out of superlatives. Um, you know, he, 
you know, over 300 total yards in a game. And, you know, it wasn't, you know, didn't feel perfect, you know, but, um, you know, he just, I think toughness, um, he's a football player. I mean, that's probably the greatest compliment I could give him. And, um, you know, he comes up big with, you know, big, he had a couple of big first downs on third and short that like, I'm not sure everybody in the league gets those, you know, but he did. And, you know, of course, you know, makes the big play at the end, but I thought he was tremendous throughout. Uh, gave us a lot of hard yards in a running game, caught the ball well out of the backfield, makes some big plays with his hands. And, um, but that's JJ. That's what he is. All right, that is Josh Jacobs, and that's exactly what he is. Phenomenal yesterday. I mean, just terrific game all the way around for Josh Jacobs, whether it was running the football, receiving the football, and just to be able to to have a, a back like that who just continues to be a positive force for the Raiders. Finally, Josh McDaniels talks about winning two games in a row in dramatic fashion and feeling that the Raiders are going in the right direction. I, I, I've never doubted that it was. Um, you know, and, and like I said, you know, the NFL, there's a lot of close games every week. And, um, sometimes it takes a little, a while to, to learn how to get over the hump on some of those things. And, um, you know, and, and that's what we attributed to, you know, and doesn't guarantee us anything going forward. Um, we're going to stick with our process. We think we have a really close knit group here that works hard. Um, we believe in what we're doing. We believe in what we're coaching. We believe in trying to win the way we're trying to win. And, uh, I think our guys do too. And, uh, and I think that, you know, you don't always get the results you look, you want right away. And, uh, I think that tests your patience and your perseverance a little bit, but I think we've got a very resilient group. All right, the Raiders know they're not going to the playoffs. I mean, technically, mathematically, they're still alive. And all you can do is is beat the teams that are put in front of you. So luckily for the Raiders, they get the victory last week against Denver. They get the victory uh, yesterday against the Seattle Seahawks. And then next up, you've got the Chargers. Here's Derek Carr talking about the second straight win on the final play of the game two weeks in a row. Yeah, it's good. Um, again, it reaffirms um, the things that we've been talking about. It reaffirms the things Josh has been talking to us about. And uh, the exciting part is, like, after the game, of course, we're excited, of course. But it's like everyone's sitting there talking about, like, man, I could have done this or I could have done that. And, and that, that's what's going to push push us to be better as an organization, you know, for the long term and push us to be better um, as a team in the short term. You know, and it's pro football. You know, you want it to be perfect all the time. And, uh I mean, the nine years I've been in the league, any, no matter who's on the roster, when you come to Seattle, it's, it's a tough game, you know, and, um, you know, we, you know, came here, we knew it was going to be tough and they made plays, you know, um, and then we made some plays at the end to bounce back and answer back. And I mean, it's a great football game. It, it was tough. It was hard. Uh, uh, it was a little cold too. And, uh, it was good, uh, to see our guys be able to answer back even when it didn't go our way. And no, no one was hanging their head or it was over or anything like that. I think the confidence from last week too, um, to know that, Hey, we're never out of it. And so I think that was a, a good thing. All right, there's Derek Carr talking about the second straight win on the final play of the game. And Carr struggled in this game to start off with. I mean, his first pass was intercepted yesterday. His last one, uh, you know, good for a touchdown to, to Foster Moreau. Here's more of Derek Carr talking about Foster Moreau and the game-tying touchdown. That's a ball I tried to – you know, that's going to be a tough catch for him to make, but it's something that I trust him with. And, you know, him and Darren and all the tight ends running up the seam just trying to – Throw it where the linebacker can't see it, and they made a good play. Um, and so I told him, "We're not losing confidence in that. You know, it's it's on me too. I made it. I was trying to make it hard for. You. I could have checked it down. I was trying to be aggressive and make a throw. You know, and uh, and so when they doubled, they, you know, they were playing quarters to Tay side, and they ended up trying to double Tay, and they let Foster get behind them, and um, you know, I just tried to give him a ball to where he could. Uh, just to make a play on the ball, however it looked, and get his feet down. And, you know, he came up huge for us, um, you know, in that moment. All right, Derek Carr talking about uh, Foster Moreau. And, again, without Darren Waller there as your tight end, you have to rely on Foster Moreau. And Foster Moreau has shown that he can play in this league, and he's become kind of a favorite target of Carr as well, too. But the star of the day, obviously, as we know, is Josh Jacobs. Here's Carr talking about his running back's dramatic and terrific performance yesterday. I can talk about him and I've talked about you with you guys over the last uh, the year and a half or so is uh, that mentality. You know, that mentality that he brings and that that that, that uh, mindset, the way he runs and the way he, you know, over and over and over again is finishing not just downhill but through people. You know, and you know he's always finishing forward. You know, second and eight in this league is way different than second and five, second and four. Um, and, and 
him bringing that mindset and that, you know, how hard he's worked, uh, all those things. I mean, I said at the beginning of the year, you know, when we had Devontae, added Devontae, I said the happiest person in the building besides me is going to be Josh Jacobs, you know, and uh, and we're seeing the fruits of that. All right, Derek Carr talking about Josh Jacobs' performance, and that is so true. You know, you have a guy like Devontae Adams. If you have those other weapons like uh, Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller, it just it opens things up for Josh Jacobs. And Josh Jacobs, hey, this guy's playing without a contract for next year. He's going to make a Mark Davis's and Dave Ziegler's decision very, very tough because Josh Jacobs looks like the guy that we saw at Alabama going back four years ago. Looks fantastic. Finally, Derek Carr talking about the feeling of winning two in a row and believing not only in the system, but the process. I think it shows that we believe in him and we're trying to do everything right. Um, again, it's new schemes. It's, it's a new philosophy to play the game and there's different rules for certain things. I mean, I messed something up today where I was like, like he got mad and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I was like, I was right, you know? And, uh, and then I had to think, I was like, oh, that's a couple systems ago, you know, so I'm still, still processing through some of that, uh, you know, in certain things, but you know, it just, it's just growth and we're all just trying to do things the right way and uh, do them his way. And, um, it shows that everyone's believing in that and trying to do them that way. And so, um, for me, I'm trying to execute the reads and everything exactly how he wants it. So is the whole team. And you can tell everyone's believing and buying into that, um, because of the success that we're starting to have. It doesn't mean anything now. You know, we still don't have a good record. Um, but we're heading in the right direction. All right. There are the Raiders, uh, hopefully heading in the right direction. They've won two in a row, both overtime victories. And, uh, you know, when you win games like that, it does, uh, build confidence. All right. Derek Carr, 25 for 36 yesterday, 295 yards, three touchdown passes. He did have the two interceptions. They were costly, but hey, bottom line is the Raiders got the W and they overcame that. And back to Josh Jacobs, record breaking performance yesterday, setting the Raiders single season record. Topping Napoleon Kaufman's. Remember him? Napoleon Kaufman. You got to go back. 1997, 227 rushing yards he had. Set that record 25 years ago against the Broncos back at the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. But Jacob's performance also came three days short of that 35th anniversary of Bo Jackson's Monday Night Football run that we talked about, where Bo Jackson had 221 yards and three touchdowns, including that iconic 91-yard touchdown that he ran into the tunnel there in the kingdom. Yeah, that was uh, November 30th, 1987. So good day for Jacobs. Great day for the Raiders. They get the victory. Next up, Chargers at home here Sunday at Allegiant Stadium. They'll kick it off at 125. So we'll be talking a lot about that game coming up during the course of the week. All right. When we come back, we'll talk a little college football. What a great college football weekend it was. We had some more upsets. We had some craziness. And now things are starting to fall into place as far as the college football playoff. We're going to talk to our good friend Houston Nutt, the former coach at Old Miss, the former uh, coach at Arkansas, and the current CBS and uh, analyst who does a fantastic job on CBS, of course, our great friend down south there in Texas. He's going to join us. Coming up next, it is a magnificent Monday here on the T.C. Martin Show. Turn your head and cough. Here's the doctor, T.C. Martin. All right, don't forget we are at the Westgate each and every Friday. So come on by, see the show live 2 to 4 p.m. at the world-famous Superbook. Our best bet segment a whole lot more. Rolling with the best bet segment last Friday as well, too. Hitting some college football in the NFL. And speaking of college football, we got to bring in my man who's just hanging out there in McKinney, Texas, traveling back and forth to the CBS studios there in New York City. But it is crunch time right now in college football. And my man Houston Nutt is all over like a hobo on a hot dog or like a guy in a brisket sandwich, as I like to say. What's up, coach? It's going to be you, TC. How you doing? I'm doing good, brother. How you doing, man? All good. All good. I appreciate you uh, joining us here today. And, uh, you know, a lot of college football that we, uh, we got to talk about here, uh, Houston. But, you know, here in Las Vegas – uh, it, it, it's a day where UNLV football is going through another transition. You and I have talked about this before where, uh, you know, it's been a program that is, you know, let's be honest, let's just tell it like it is. I mean, it's been one of the, 
the lowest, uh, you know, successful, the least successful programs going back the last 20 years. Uh, we probably got to go back to John Robinson uh, to be in the most successful coach. It, it, it's been a long, long time. And I know that, uh, you know, this program is kind of close to your heart as well, too. I Man, you started out at Boise State competing against UNLV and, of course, going to the, you know, the SEC and, you know, with Ole Miss and Arkansas and everything. Uh, give me some thoughts when you hear that UNLV relieves Marcus Arroyo of his duties after three years. Yeah. You know, I always, uh, have a lot of respect for, for for Las Vegas, and and always felt like uh, what John Robinson did was was outstanding. You always felt like this place uh, c- could make it happen. You know, you'll you'll have uh, such a tradition with basketball, and everybody gets that. But it just seems like uh, it could be a, a good spot to to get this uh, program going, and I'll be able to play some football there. But uh, it's not easy, and I understand that it's not easy. But uh, I just think it can happen. So, Houston, here is my take on this, man. I'm curious to just get your opinion on this. You know, UNLV has gone with experimentations in the last co- coaching hire. As much as I like Tony Sanchez, I mean, he was a high school football coach. And at that point in time, I think the the university just felt like, okay, you know, we there's we can't get any lower and here's a guy who is just invested in this community and he's coached some of the top high school players in the country let's roll with him give him a shot and he did pretty well he 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 did and then you have a new athletic director and they want to you know basically go for the you know what a lot of nfl teams do you know go let's go for the hot offensive coordinator the hot defensive coordinator and that's why they selected marcus arroyo because he was an offensive core coordinator high octane oregon you know but you know marcus arroyo nope no head coaching experience. I really believe that you know now is a time for UNLV if they're going to get this right is go with someone who has head coaching experience, someone that could be a leader of men. And I don't care if it's somebody who maybe been sitting on the sidelines for a while, but there are a lot of qualified candidates that I believe that people would would love to have the opportunity at this job, uh, maybe especially someone maybe who who hasn't been on the sidelines for a while, but has a track record of building winning programs. And for me, you know, if you get somebody who, you know, has that experience as a head coach, it is much better than just trying to snap an offensive or defensive coordinator, you know, from some Power 5 conference. I'm curious, what are your thoughts about this? If you put on an AD hat, what kind of guy would you hire? Well, you know, it's funny uh, that that you just said those things because I've talked to a lot of you know, when you're in the airports and you you, you hear, uh, I've talked to different coaches on every level, high school, college, pro, and uh, what you said, you know, makes a lot of sense. But here's here's the problem: you got search firms now that are get involved. You have athletic directors that don't take that that will say, "I'm not going to make the sole decision. I'm going to go get a, a search firm team." Search firm teams are not going to go get just what you said. They're not. They're going to go get the hottest offensive coordinator. Hottest uh, defensive coordinator, and it, to me, they don't have enough laps around the track. And I'm not saying they're bad coaches; they're not. They're good coaches, but it's it's when you haven't been there and you haven't had that um, responsibility of doing everything uh, as far as running an entire program from top to bottom. You're you're just uh, you're you're missing some things. So. I, you know, again, I, I'm. That's why I'm. I'm for that other side. That just what you described. I, I just think there's some, there's some coaches out there that have been head coaches before, has some experience because it's going to take it's going to take work. It's going to take a lot of energy. It's going to take a lot of uh, great staff. Get a staff in there that can recruit. And now with recruiting, it's transfer portal deluxe. It's free agency. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it's NIL. It's it's not just junior college and high school anymore. It's a whole different world right now. And so, to me, the the person that has some that has touches and feels with different, uh, you know, relationships is 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 so valuable right now. And so, I think it'd be important to ha- have a guy there with some experience that's done it before, that knows how to build and uh, build those relationships. But it, you know, again, you know, it starts with recruiting and, um, it, it's not easy, but I'm, you're preaching to the choir on what you just got to say. I promise you, brother. <laughs> well, you know, I just described you. I mean, you, you check those boxes. You check those boxes. There it is. Your, your agent is working for you right now. 
<laughs> You're the best. You're the best. But hey, you know, it is a couple of times I I called out there, but there was no interest. So you know, it's just uh, it's just a different world, and uh, and I get it. I understand. You know, I understand. Everybody's uh, want that that young next guy that's uh, been real hot, but um, they if you do go that route, you gotta you gotta have some experience on that staff that. Uh, that can really that somebody you can really lean on if you're going to go back that route you got to lean on it so let me uh, so let me uh, let me ask you this i'm sorry, i didn't mean to inter- interrupt you at all uh, but it just it just it just it just begs the question here now where do you think that this job is for either people like yourself or say other other veteran head coaches. And I'm not talking about current head coaches. I'm talking about, you know, you know, head coaches maybe at a lower level, but that have been doing it for a long time, or guys that yeah. maybe have uh done it at a high level that maybe have been out of the game for a few seasons or whatever. Where is this job on their radar? Would a guy like you and other people like that, be interested in taking over a program that, let's be honest, is one of the least successful programs for a very, very long time. Or do people say, "I, I want, I don't want to touch that. You know, I want to stay away from it." How would you view view this job? Well, it's a great question, and you know, that's a great question. I'd love to hear what John Robinson said about that because mm-hmm. if you look at coaches that's been let go or been out of it for a while. Uh, you know, and that's what I thought four, five, six years ago when the job was open. I said, man, I'd like to go there because I, I got to know uh, John Robinson and some of the things he did there. I knew some of his assistants that worked for him. And so, you know, he had a good feeling. And, and uh, with my brothers recruiting uh, basketball, they'd come out there ever so often in the summertime. I'd go out there with them. And so, you know, I, I think for uh, for coaches that have, have been, that have experience that's been let go or, as as you said, a lower division head coach that's had success, I think they'd look at that and say, "Hey, I'll take that challenge." Mm-hmm. Now they're not going to say, "Oh, that's my, that's the, that's the number one job I want." They probably won't say that, but you know, it's about coaching. You know, you got to love it. You got to love it. You got to love developing relationships with eighteen, nineteen, twenty-year-olds and and taking them where they can't go by themselves and putting that team together. You know, that that's the joy of it, and that's that's always what you miss. But it, to me, it takes somebody like that. You got it. Houston Nutt joins us, CBS Sports. Of course, the former coach at Ole Miss, Arkansas, Boise State back in the day. All right, my friend, let's talk about what our eyes saw over the weekend. We saw Michigan destroy Ohio State in Columbus. We talked about it last week. Could this happen? You know what they did, Houston? Michigan just went in there, and they outscored Ohio State 21-3 to in the fourth quarter. And if we go to the second half... I don't know what happened in those locker rooms, but Jim Harbaugh had them going. They outscored the Buckeyes 35-3 to in the second half in Columbus in the horseshoe. That is a beatdown, my friend. Explain what happened. Before I do, I just gotta I just want to know, did you see this coming? Did I the great TC see this coming. I gotta I will tell you what I saw coming. I figured that Michigan would show up. I, I didn't think it was going to yeah. be the Michigan teams for, that we saw two, three years ago. But, you know, last year, what Michigan did to Ohio State, now granted, that was in Ann Arbor, but I just felt that they had a little mojo. They were undefeated. They knocked off Ohio State last year. So it didn't surprise me that that yeah. this game, you know, it, that Michigan won the game. Didn't surprise me, but in the fashion that they did it, it shocked me because right. I thought Ohio State would have revenge on their mind, and I actually gave Ohio State the the nod. I said Ohio State's going to win a close game, but no, I didn't see thirty five right. to three coming in the second half, brother. It, it was unbelievable. And then also, let's take away Blake Corum. That was one thought. Mm-hmm. I said, mm, right, you, know, you don't have your best back, you know, so that's going to be well, that's going to hurt. But all of a sudden, Edwards, that next guy up. Uh, but no, hey, they were they physically won the trenches. And here's the thing, you know this. In this game, this is for sure a line of scrimmage game. You don't talk about line of scrimmage. Uh, this is a line of scrimmage game, and Michigan, boy, outright won that. And just physically, I just got to you got to give it to them. Mm-hmm. 
the job they did, especially in the second half. It, it was so surprising. I'm, I kept watching like, ooh, and I, I know Ohio State's getting ready to turn it here. I know they're getting ready to score. I've seen C.J. Stroud do this too many times. But, no, the defense, everybody, uh, they were buttoned up. Tackling was sound. And then offensively, just downhill. And then also, let's give it to J.J. McCarthy now. He hit some explosive plays down the field. They had eight, nine in the box, man. They're saying, uh, J.J. McCarthy beat me. Well, guess what? He did. He did. <laughs> he, he, found, he found some guys down the field, man. He hit some beautiful post routes, some fades, some back shoulders. Oh, my goodness. I mean, just an awesome job uh, by the quarterback. And that clearly was Coach Day in the Ohio State's game plan was, hey, I tell you what, we're fixing to pack this box. We know you want to run it. We're going to stop you. We're going to put about seven, eight, nine in the box. We're going to stop you consistently. Hey, receivers, you better beat us. And they did. And I, I just think it, you just hats off to Michigan. Outstanding job. And the way you, you said it right, TC, the way they beat Ohio State, really, that, that surprised me. And because they beat him like that, Houston, I do not want to yeah. hear about Ohio State and the playoff in the same sentence. I don't want to hear about no. that. And, and for people to say, okay, well, it's just one game. No, 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 no. Now, that's your big game. That's your most meaningful game. That was your toughest opponent, and you failed miserably on your home field. So that cannot no. be dismissed, okay? They came in here number two, all right? So number two, they went bye-bye. I do, I do not want to hear Ohio State even being considered. Am I right for that? Tell me how you feel. Okay. 100%. I'm with yeah. you 100%. Uh, and I know some people won't feel that way, but I do. I'm with you. The way you got beat is the way. It'd be one thing now if it was a shootout back and forth, close. Okay, I get it. Tough, tough, tough loss. But no. No, it was it was uh, four quarters of, of, of Michigan. It's what it was. Michigan won that game in your backyard. And I'm sorry, Ohio State, get on down. You're, you're out. You're out. Exactly. Now, LSU is well, too, now. And uh, LSU had a couple losses, you know, coming into this, but they had some good wins. They were number five on the outside looking in. They go down to Texas A&M, and they get beat down, too. A&M, they led from the, from the get-go there, 38-23 the final. So here's my question, because I'm banging on this drum here. I think I'm the only guy banging on this drum here. Did this open the door for Alabama? <laughs> Did it open the door for Alabama? Now, Alabama rolled over Auburn 49-27, to but think about this, Houston. Could Alabama get in here? Because let's, let's take the eye test, okay? Let's take the eye test. Who are the four best teams right now? Tell me Alabama's one of those four. I tell you what, yeah, you can say that. You can argue that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, look, let's go back. I want to go back one thing. Okay. The two, there's, I got two sick SEC teams. Tennessee was setting absolutely perfect just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, setting perfectly, mm-hmm. and they get beat. And then LSU, they moved up, and then they get beat. And so you gotta you gotta figure that Alabama is right there in the conversation in these meetings starting Tuesday night. There's no doubt about it. They're right there. Bryce Young, I don't know, they can say what they want. The guy is phenomenal. He doesn't have the weapons that he's had in the past, and he still finds a way, man. I mean, he finds a way. He doesn't have Devontae Smith. He doesn't have a Waddle. He doesn't have a Jerry Judy, a Jameson Williams. He doesn't have that, but he finds a way. He has ice water in his veins. Unbelievable. I agree, man. So I'm just curious. I'm going to wait and see on these championship games what happens. But here's what's tough now. Here's the question to you. If TCU – if they lose to Kansas State in the championship game, are they still in? I don't. I don't. I don't want them. I don't want them. Again, it's not like they. They. I don't want them. If you're going to lose to to K State in a Big Twelve that doesn't have great history in the playoff, as we know, again, the eye test. If TCU lines up against Alabama, who wins that game? Who's going to be favored in that game? Yeah, I think so. Now it depends how they lose, but again, it, you know, again, they've been life and death in a lot of these uh, victories they've had here. But I'm just saying, 
You know, they're, they're not a shoe in if they lose. We know Georgia's in, Michigan's in, I think, you know, no matter what those two teams do. TCU, if they win, of course they're going to be in, but then there's going to open the door for USC, Alabama. And, and outside of that, it's nobody else. I think it's going to be interesting, yeah. but for me, again, if we're doing the eye test, okay, I'm going to, we'll, we'll leave on this note. Give me your eye test right now. Who are the top four as we sit here today? In your mind. Well, I like what's there right now. I, I like Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC. I like what's there. Okay. I mean, uh, you yep. can say anything about eye test you want, but I'm going to tell you, I, I give it to TCU right now, TC. I really do. Okay, yeah. This group, I mean, they're 12-0. and 0. I don't care what – you look at what they did. They go to Texas and win. I didn't think they'd get by that game. I really I didn't think they could go to Austin. They had two road games that I thought – Mm, they're going to stumble, right? One of those two. No, they didn't. This Max Duggan is playing. I mean, they are playing, and this defense is playing hard for Sonny Dyke. So, I, I, I'm I'm on the Horn Frog wagon right now, and and I'm anxious to see because Kansas State now. Watch this game. This is a good team that had they had the Horn Frogs. They had them, mm. and so now they're going to play them again. It's hard to beat somebody twice. I'm I'm anxious to see that game. Deuce Vaughn and the guys. Uh, that is, that's going to be a dandy, but there's going to be argument now to keep TCU in there with one loss. I'm going to tell you. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's why we need that. We need that little extra playoff. We need a little <laughs> tournament. A little, a little you tournament. got that right. They, that's it. We need that. We need some more barbecue. That's all we need. That's it. We need expansion. Four's not enough. Just like just the brisket's not enough. You got to give me the ribs. You got to give me the pulled pork. You got to give me the ham hocks. You got to give it all to me, brother. That's what I want. That's exactly. <laughs> Don't forget about the Texas Twinkies. Oh, the Texas Twinkies. That's right. Woo! Hutchins Barbecue. There's a shout out for you again. The Texas Twinkies. I swear that your your face should be on a billboard with the Texas Twinkies. That's what I think. Hutchins doesn't realize what I do for them. I know, right? Exactly. Here's a guy in Vegas. I never even had him before. But just hearing from you and seeing the pictures, I'm down. There it is. All right. Hey, but you you do know about Freddie, and I tell you what, Freddie, get ready when I come to town next time because we're going to go look up Freddie Hamburger. Oh, I'm, I'm I'm treating you to Freddie's. I'm taking you back to Blue Ribbon. We're going to have that delicious fried chicken. We're going to get you some oysters, some seafood. We're going to get whatever you have over there. We'll even get we'll give you the upgrade from the crawfish that you used to eating. Well, that's it. We're giving you the upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> love it love it brother appreciate right. you man there it is i appreciate Let's, you take care have a great weekend okay tc see you buddy there is also man houston nut firing away here doing her thing here with cbs sports you can catch him on cbs sports network and cbs all right hey you heard it you heard houston nut tell him like it he'd take that unlv job i'm calling eric harper i'm representing you wouldn't want a guy that coached in the SEC? Are you kidding me? A guy who's got close to 20 years head coaching experience? Come on, man. Let's do it. All right, college football. Oh, my goodness. we got plenty to talk about coming up next hour as well, too. Matt Holt's going to join us as well as Chuck Esposito. We'll talk some Monday night football and more college football all week long. Now is the interesting time, isn't it? Oh, yeah, we look forward to that. All right, we're coming back on the other side. More football, more Raiders. Monday Night Football, winners, losers at the book, right here on this magnificent Monday, T.C. Martin Show.